again. Thanks to Clyde Malt. This is Radio Brews News. I'm Matt Kierkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News. And the cranky guy you're going to hear next is my good friend, despite what some people have uh, said in the comments this week, co-host and all-round great guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, <laughs> listeners. I tell you what, I couldn't be more interested to be here today than if I'd just drunk a great big bowl of interest and been smacked over the head with an interest stick. Mate, that, I, I think... I, 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 Sorry, was that, uh, was that a bit caricatured? <laughs> that was a little bit... Oh, snide might be the word, but... <laughs> anyway, so yes, so we'd, as you'll hear at the end of the program, um, a couple of people commented that uh, Pete... Uh, well, actually, no, there wasn't Pete. There was a, there was a little bit of a niggle in, in last week's show, which... Uh, um, I don't, yeah, I don't I, go as far as to say... I, 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 look, I don't... Um, I, in all honesty, I haven't had a chance to listen back to last week, because I... I, I you know, my own worst critic, and I'm I'm more than happy to press the honesty button and say it wasn't my best work. Um, probably caught it just a, a bit of a bad time uh, with lots of things going on and uh, and, and just trying to focus. Um, yeah, probably, yeah, could have done better. Mate, I, I don't know about you, I hate listening back to these shows, not because of the guests, but because I hate listening to myself. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, I was boring myself last week with uh, my rant. It was something that sometimes I just get a head of steam up and I often sit down and some good You might like to try the same. You do get a little bit bored perhaps when you're listening to it. Um, just write down random um, time signatures, you know, like five minutes, 16 seconds, or, you know, 10 minutes, 18 seconds, something like that, um, and put them in little boxes. And then when I do get to have a word, just see if it's come close <laughs> to one of those, those times. <laughs> Prof Chats Bingo, we call it. And... Uh, I, I, I actually play it while we're recording live. Um, just wonder, oh, geez, oh, could, oh, no, missed that spot. Couldn't, no, no, no <laughs> Oh, there's an opening. No, missed it. Uh, yeah, anyway. And, and that's, mate, as, as you know, I take all of that on. Um, yeah, I, I'll wear it. So um, I do, yeah. That's fine. But, but no, see, it's, prof, all good. it's all fun. Mate, the, the first rule of radio is upset your audience and say things, and you're the good guy. You know, you, you never say anything that mildly upsets people except for that intro, um, which no doubt may give some cards and letters. But get over I, I, look, I, I, no, I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I'll, I, I I'll, do I'll need... have a listen back, but I, I thought it sounded genuine at this end. Anyway, enough, enough. Um, yes, so sorry, listeners. There, there, there is lots of love and light and happiness in uh, this recording studio today, so uh, no worries. But we are... Um, We'll get straight on to our first guest. Um, caught up last night with Chris Herring from uh, Queensland Craft Brewery uh, Beard and Brow. Um, had an interesting chat with him. Um, and we'll find out a little bit about uh, from Chris about the brewery himself, about the brewery that he and his partner Tanya um, have uh, built up. But also just some interesting issues that uh, one of their new beers um, raises about, you know, maybe another nail in the uh, coffin of craft beer. So um, let's just uh, go and have a chat to Chris Herring. Beard and Brow, we started, uh, well the business started in 2007 and the brewery put its first beer out way back in 2008. Um, basically Tanya and I back then, if everyone remembers back then, lots of pubs bought out with pretty bland beers, pokies prominent. And, you know, going to a pub wasn't really fun. There was nothing really nice to drink or anything to that nature. And, you know, we're all, like a lot of the Queenslander guys were, like, sitting there making their own homebrew. And, you know, we decided to put our money where our mouth was and start a brewery. And that was when you were in South Australia at that stage? Yes. Yeah. So we uh, started in a classic uh, 
very poor world of an old industrial shed in uh, Parry Hills West right across the road from an airport. So nothing too flash, I can tell you that. <laughs> and, and, and you moved back to your home state of Queensland uh, two years ago now, two and a half years All ago? Actually, yeah, well, actually, we're actually originally South Australians, so Queensland's now our new home state. So, yeah, so we arrived up here in uh, 2012. Uh, we sort of shut down the operations in uh, South Australia in about to end of 2011. Moved all the equipment up to a, a nice property we bought out in Tambourine Village and uh, plunked the brewery back in there and uh, slowly fought a long battle with the council to start our brewery up again. Which is probably uh, something else that we can uh, talk about. But tell us a little bit about your uh, approach to brewing. Um, you, you've got the beard and brow range, but your approach is very much farmhouse ales, isn't it? Yeah, so after sort of developing the beer brewery and, and getting our skills in down in South Australia and seeing where the market is and seeing what we could actually do and what our real favourites and type of things were doing. And, yeah, so our move to Queensland was really around, we sort of have a saying, we've gone beyond craft, we've gone back to the farm. So we've sort of really more focused around where we source our ingredients and using some old traditional ingredients and a lot of things that sort of grow as weeds, et cetera, around the farm, which is all nice because it's free ingredients, uh, are now starting moving into our beer. And as well as more of the uh, traditional farmhouse, Belgian, French, North Belgian, France, farmhouse ale style of breweries, you know, where every little village had their own brewery, you know. So, so tell us a little bit about your beers. So the beers, are probably our two most prominent beers now are actually two um, farmhouse yeast-based beers. So we're talking, we go very, very traditional, very, very traditional to style as much as you can. So we use very, very locally sourced malts, but we use the uh, a Saison Champagne Hybrid Yeast. And then, you know, we'll use local ingredients like honey and, uh, and elderflower and a few other bits and pieces when we feel like it into these beers. And then these beers are actually then fermented on lees. So a proper method champenoise, and then you'll probably they're at least aged in our cellar for at least six months on before they're actually released in bottles. Um, they occasionally put into kegs, um, and they're they're a pricey number as well. But uh, yeah, so they're our two prominent ones, and then we do a lot more of uh, we do it. We have a double IPA and a stout, which is an old English milk stout. Um, and then we have some couple old traditional beers, uh, Calif- a very true Californian common. And uh, probably the most uh, standard one of our beers is just a good uh, English amber ale that sort of went on American holiday, just a good smashing session amber. But uh, typically these days it's uh, more of the uh, farmhouse bottle matured and, and more of the bigger styles of beers. But then we do a lot of beers of little one-off flavours into kegs. So recently we've just done a uh, sour beer called Miley's Mulberry Tart where... We added a whole heap of mulberries, which were growing around the farm and the river, and that went into the beer as a as a post-secondary uh, ferment in the fermenter. So you've got this literally a nice little tart mulberry refreshing beer. And we've got another one out recently where we've made with a whole heap of stinging nettle, which is great because we have two acres of that. So slashing stinging nettle and using the beer was, was helpful for the property as well as the beer. So we do a lot of one-off beers into kegs is probably probably about 80% of our volume these days, really. Chris, do you get any, um, with the, either the mulberries or the nettles, do you find, do you get any uh, sort of yeast that's sitting on the skins or, or within it uh, that can make the, the beer, uh, shall we say, unique from batch to batch? 
Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but no, we're a little bit more uh, sterile as brewers. So the mulberries were uh, made into a, a boiled up kumquat. So effectively we pasteurised the buggers oh, and then okay. cooled that down and then added that as a liquid. Um, specifically when you start getting into brewing fermenters and when you start talking about cleaning nooks and crannies. So if you, you don't want to be adding little seeds and stalks or anything <laughs> into your fermenters, you know, it's not the, they're not the easiest things to clean and they tend to block spray balls when they want to and stuff like that. So, and then the nettle was, um, in the case of the nettle, was really interesting. We actually went through a pretty long process of picking the nettle at different stages and actually trialling at... Um, it's either dried or fresh, and um, we found that the dried nettle provided the nicest flavours and the most stable flavours. So firstly, it was dried, so that was out in the sun for a day or so, so you're killing off whatever's on there, and then they're actually added into the boil as a hop. So once again, the yeast, etc., has been pasteurised on those boards. But it is a vision. We are definitely looking forward to trying to... Um, we've got a friend uh, who's... Uh, works in the yeast game for one of the big breweries. So she's, uh, we're trying to work with her to see if we can actually have our own yeast strain that's grown down on the river. That would be amazing. Mate, one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you uh, today is you know, the, 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 what I know about uh, Ben Brow and what I know about you and your approach to brewing and uh, you know, the, the farmhouse and using wild ingredients. It is, in so many ways, the, you know, when people use that um, sort of nebulous term, craft beer, um, it, it's what they think of, you know, a small scale, you and your partner, Tanya, um, in a farmhouse crafting beers that give effect to your vision of how beer can be, um, very much along those lines. But last night uh, when we were talking, you were telling me about the new uh, gluten-free beer that you are um, bringing out or that you've been bringing out for a while. Maybe we could start by you telling us a little bit about that beer and that'll segue into the next part of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, for your listeners, there is a blog about it's called the Scare You Brew was the first trial brew of this, spelled E-W-E. Um, it was for a scarecrow festival that we have up on the mountain. You know, we're quirky people around here. But there is a blog on our Facebook page, etc., about sort of some of the reasonings and logic. And basically, it was interesting. Um, Tanya started actually getting pretty crook and um you know looking into diets etc we have a pretty healthy living out here because you can't get takeaways or anything to that nature so you do have to live healthy but um yeah tanya's health was waning a little bit and we're having a look into the diet and and uh, you know and probably we were thinking that maybe she's getting you know what the new fatty thing is is maybe a bit of gluten intolerance um and i probably also i don't know if you guys got to see uh, I think it was a couple of nights ago, Catalyst. There was a whole uh, show on ABC Catalyst about gluten-free and gluten intolerance and celiacs, etc., like that. So Tanya's far from a celiac, but it was very interesting about what they were talking about, the new fat of gluten intolerance. And potentially Tanya's not, potentially Tanya doesn't have a gluten problem, but there is other things inside the gluten process and wheats, which are other finer sugars, which potentially are what people have trouble with. But anyway, so we went down this gluten-free-ish or gluten-reduced path. But um, when it came to making the beer, um, very totally different brewing processes you need to pretty much do to make beer out of the traditional gluten-free grains, you know, sorghum, millet, uh, those type of grains. And, um, you know, they're, not, they're, they're interesting grains at themselves um, from a grain perspective. 
so yeah, so that was sort of the reasoning behind it. So we went we went down this path because Tanya was doing a bit crook, hard work if you want to cut gluten out being a brewer, um, and we were looking for maybe something that uh, could give us a result that would be. Uh, acceptable i guess and so this brewer's clarix was getting used quite common well probably getting regular in the u.s and so we did some research into that and so we did a trial with this beer called the scare you brew so yeah so that, is that a good enough explanation yeah, into yeah. It? okay so the, the, the long and the short of it is you're making a whereas a lot of the gluten-free beers available in australia have used alternate grains than malt and barley which are um grains that uh, contain gluten You've gone another way where you're making uh, malt, uh, barley and wheat malt beers, um, but you use a, a an enzyme called uh, Brewer's Clarex that breaks down um, those uh, proteins or the, the, the gluten proteins to render them effectively gluten-free. Is that a fair summary? Yes. I mean, the ter- that is a very good summary, um, but I suppose the first thing we've got to really clarify what gluten-free and the term gluten-free means in Australia, because it is a legislated food statement. So gluten-free is, so probably when we're talking about this, so we don't talk about gluten-free, we'll just say it's gluten-reduced or gluten-eliminated, because I, I definitely don't want to uh, stifle in the legislation. And I'm actually a big supporter of that. I'm quite a conservative person after working in a... Uh, been, been quite a senior person in the blood service for many years. So um, when you have a piece of legislation, it's there to define the rules and, and gluten-free is clearly defined in Australia. Yep, and uh, great. Yeah, so we'll call it gluten-reduced. And I, I first became aware of this, um, uh, I think Pure Blonde started making the suggestion that they were gluten-reduced or um, along the same ways. And I was looking into the processes that they may have used. And one of those was this uh, enzyme brewer's clarex. And uh, I, I find it fascinating um, having you know, listened to you talk about your very much farmhouse style um, and talking, you know, and when you think about craft beer, what it means. And even in, in the US, um, you know, the, the, the notion of traditional is a big part of the definition of what makes a craft brewer. And enzymes have always had that, you know, non-natural uh, enzymes or non-naturally occurring in the brewing process enzymes tend to be scorned at and you know they're, they're used to um, you know the use of um, hop extracts or the use of enzymes or some of the modern industrial brewing processes are seen as some of the hallmarks of a non-craft beer. Um, so was, was there a difficult decision for you to make you know given your approach to brewing to use uh, techniques that probably aren't in that you know widely available you know, widely accepted concept of craft brewing? Uh, yeah, it was a long conversation with Tan and I, but um, and yeah, it was it's definitely probably a, a little step sideways. But I suppose at the end of this day, when when we talk about we're brewers and um, brewing's a really really well studied evolutionary science, and that's part of being a very good brewer and making a good product. And, it, and people will scorn at me calling beer a product, but that's sort of. You're making this thing that people are consuming and, they, and it's got to be a, of an acceptable quality and, and, and of safety and of efficacy. So, you know, we are scientists and, you know, to say, so even over traditional times, even though they're doing bits and pieces and using these other things, you know, I mean, the invention of hops is probably a classic example of, well, should we only be using 
heather and myrtle and those type of traditional herbs because that's all we can do as craft brewers because hops is one of those new adjunct additives technically in the brewing traditions, you know. So and why do we use hops? Because we understand the science, et cetera, like that. So I suppose I, I see in the world being a sort of professional brewer, et cetera, like that, and, you know, part of becoming a good brewer and a, and a well-rounded brewer is actually understanding and using these type of things and seeing their impact. Not all enzymes are enzymes, you know. Not everything we would add into our beers because they have undesirable after impacts in the brewing process and then a lot of the time most of the enzymes that you are adding into the brewing game the, the typical ones that everyone knows about the amylases and the, the low carb ones you can typically they typically happen anyway it's just the way about how you're processing through them and how much time and care etc you want to go through that so in the case of you know this bluer's clarex it sort of naturally occurs but not in huge volumes it's an interesting new step potentially in the change of the processed food world even to an extent. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one. But at the end of the day, we're craft brewers, yes, because of probably the styles and technique of our brewery, but we're also scientific brewers, so we're always looking to, to the next step as well. And, it is, yeah. and look, at the, I mean, that's a really good summary because... Uh, you know, brewers do need to modernise, and, and I've said on this uh, show a couple of times that you know the, the beers that people are enjoying, no matter how crafty, are fundamentally different to beers. You know, they've never existed in history before because our ability to control temperature and ferment and um, you know every aspect of the brewing process is so much more advanced, and we've reaped the benefit of uh, of modern technology to do that. Um, and somehow people think that we're recapturing the flavours of yesteryear when beers have never tasted, even the craftiest of craft beers have never tasted like they once did. I reckon one of my first beers that I put uh, that I made uh, in the brewery that never got released probably tasted one of yesteryear. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one of those uh, early bread beers from uh, Egypt. But, uh, but and, and, and the thing that... Um, you know, really intrigues me about this, and uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, a great example for people who, you know, ponder these things. Is um, this brewer's clarex that we were talking about? And I, we, we probably should give listeners who don't understand enzymes, uh, are effectively catalysts that can break down, can facilitate the um, breakdown of uh, things like proteins in, in the brewing process to make the, um, and they occur naturally in the brewing process to break the starches down into sugars that yeast can ferment. Um, they can be added to the brewing process to further enhance that process in, in the case of low-carb beers. And the Brewer's Clarex that we're um, talking about was initially developed um, to solve the problem of chill haze um, that, that occurs in brewing where it broke down the proteins that um, essentially coagulated, became visible in beer, gave the beer a cloudy appearance um, that wasn't pleasing to, to beer drinkers and often you know, gave the impression that beer was old. Um, and so it was developed to help facilitate that as an alternative to over-filtering beer or highly filtering the beer. Um, and it was a very effective um, enzyme. And we've found that in addition to doing that task, it also has this ability, the proteins that it breaks down um, render um, beer as uh, low gluten or um, you know, uh, give, give it the functional purpose that you found for your beer is that right yeah yeah so blue's clarix actually comes from netherlands um it's only one guys who make it 
And so the process that we went through to really stress out this enzyme, because I sort of mentioned sort of enzymes do different flavors, etc. And like, you know, the low carb one, you, you drink enough of that, it's still going in your stomach. You actually don't, you've got to pass that one. It still stays alive. So that's why we did sort of a, a mid-strength Australian pale ale. So we wanted to really see if there was going to be any real major impacts. The other most interesting thing about this one is a fair bit of literature on that the gluten rejoins, which is quite an interesting process. So we deliberately, well, we have a pretty rudimentary process, so we did a whole heap of bottles which we secondary fermented as well and to give the carbonation. And that's and uh, we then went through the testing process through another certified laboratory. So uh, we did a double assay test on the, the, the bottled beer, which is the final test that you have to achieve and get the green tick to label your product gluten-free. One, that's one element, that's one element out of many of the gluten-free status. And uh, yeah, and this test is, uh, is uh, the uh, lower limits that they report on is less than 10 parts per million, but the double assay test gives you a, a result less than five parts per million in the test. And in the case of our beer, we actually had undetectable. So... I don't really, so we're, we're less than five parts per million, so it's definitely almost gluten eliminated, you know. And to tell you the truth, you know, some of your gluten-free bars on the shelf would be something like eight parts per million gluten in them, you know, which will be... So that's sort of the, the science behind the, the, all the outcomes and the results, yeah. Now, it's, it's, the, the Brewers Clarex has been approved by the Food Standards of Australia and New Zealand. And uh, I, I guess the thing that really um, intrigues me about it is um, the application describes it as it's an endoprotease. Now, we won't go into that. Um, but it's produced by a genetically modified strain of Aspergillus niger containing additional copies of the endoprotease gene from A. niger. The intended techn technological function of this endoprotease is to reduce haze formation in beer during cold storage. So it's been approved for that. But again, when you listen to some of those other words in there, um, you talk about genetically modified um, Aspergillus niger is a is a black mold, or it's derived from black mold, I think. Um, you know, and, and it's in a lab. And these again, um, th these are all concepts that don't come naturally um, to the minds of people who are talking craft beer. And you know, we last week's podcast, uh, Prof and I talked about the um, beer, the beautiful truth campaign that uh, line are running where they're um, talking about these very natural brewing processes and yet and and there's no talk about genetically modified uh, strains of aspergillus uh, niger um, there's no talk about high gravity brewing do you think that you know we, we need to move away from some of that romanticized view of what brewing is and embrace the fact that it is a very highly evolved technology you know technology in all of its forms whether you know so-called craft breweries or mainstream breweries yeah, it's a, that's a good question. Well, I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, um, you probably could think it more from the difference between whole unprocessed food versus processed. It's been probably one of the most processed things out in the world and it's just a part of its processing evolution rather than if we go to the whole food as we made the joke. You know, we're drinking out of clay pots and, and having Tutankhamun's yeast sitting in it. So, yeah, it's... I mean, the whole genetically modified thing is a really interesting situation. I'll give you an indication. We put 30 millilitres in 1,000 litres of this stuff. So um, the actual parts per million of what we added is absolutely stuff all and none. It's quite amazing with the results that you get. Um, 
so yeah, so it's I don't know the GM stuff because then you've also got the issue of GM foods, but then you also have a look at okay, Galaxy hops would if would that's a genetically modified hop, yes. Is it genetically modified or crossbred? Yeah, I think it's GM, isn't it, by CSIRO? I don't Prof. know. It's kind of like nylon. I'm happy to wear it, but I have no idea how it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, because I, I, I knew it was a long time in a lab in the CSIRO, so I thought they probably, they may have done genetic mapping and gone, these two and these two are going to go to this, this, probably. But still, I mean, effectively, that's the same thing, you know, splicing plants, etc., like that. That is splicing genes, isn't it? So is that, you know, that so is a genetically just because it's done in a lab in a petri dish, is that different than doing genetic modification in the dirt? I don't know, but I think these are exactly the discussions. Yeah, yeah, exactly the discussions I wanted to have because uh, you know, looking at some of the other beers that are gluten-free, um, Coors Brewing Company, which I don't think Coors is anyone's definition of craft beer. Um, they've brought out a, a gluten-free beer, um, and they make a big point um, in their marketing of saying that we didn't use Brewers Clarex. We wanted to be more natural, um, and it just shows that you know, brewers are willing to. Um, you know, the, the big brewers are willing to embrace some things and diss some things depending on what the ultimate marketing aim is. So, but I, I guess uh, look, we're, we're, any listeners that aren't bored uh, already, um, we probably uh, can become a little bit too boffinish about it all. Where can uh, people? How widely distributed are your beers? Oh, we're, we're sort of like in, in a lot of little boutique stops in uh, Brisbane. Um, so you've sort of got malt traders and craft in in Brizzy, and then. Uh, There'll be, you know, we, we have our taps popping up in all of the regular good flows areas at the moment. If you can get there pretty soon at Bloodhound, they've got the Mrs. B's stinging metal at the moment this week. So if it lasts that long. So it's a really, really interesting, some really interesting flavours with that. Very surprising to understand why they actually use those types of things. And then there's a couple of places down the Gold Coast you can buy down there. And then pretty prominent around here up the mountain. So fair few quite most of the bottle shops around the mountain and pubs around the mountain and down here in the village have the beers and then you'll, you'll see us in South Australia and Victoria and northern New South Wales as well. Terrific. Oh, uh, Chris Herring, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Um, all the best uh, with, with the beers and uh, look forward to catching up with you again one day very soon. Great, guys. Good speaking with you. In the garden, what a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Yeah, so I don't know whether you agree, but I just sort of find that sort of uh, semantic discussion fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in terms of the, you know, at the end of the day, if people want to be super craft, then you'd say, okay, well, yeah, be drinking out of out of clay pots, naturally fermented, unhopped, you know, sweet wort, whatever. Um, so at every point, 
in the evolution of beer, we've we've um, if you like created a process. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing, and you know, like I I love and I use it ad nauseum this discussion about cheese. You know, you, you've got your craft cheese singles that nobody has the same hatred of craft cheese singles that they do for you know low carb beers um, or whatever, but they are just one stop on the continuum of what is cheese and you go right through from your block cheddars to your sort of farmhouse um, aged you know two or three year aged cloth wrapped cave aged absolutely and you can do all of that but no one gets all upset about you know most people uh, you know particularly if you've got kids will have uh, cheese sticks or you know plastic wrapped cheese slices in 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 your fridge um, and not give it any thought when it comes to beer it's a little bit funny I guess you know everyone decides for themselves at what point um, you know, they stop viewing it as being something that they want to drink. I don't know. As you said, yeah, Nylon's a, a good excuse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, a good example. A good um, example, yeah. Some, some things you just kind of go, I, I, there's not enough room in my brain to sort of to fit in all of the, um, the variables and every side of every argument. So sometimes you just got to go, just enjoy the beer. Yep. And But does that then, you know, the, these... The craft brewing... You can always stop drinking a particular beer once you find out more about it. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And Um, and I think we have the... I think the the thing that's sometimes lost in the the overall argument, you know, is the the fine detail, which is we have choice. You and I, even when we first met uh, at the local tap house in St Kilda, you know, we we were talking about how amazing is this, you know, and you were talking about, well, gee, it'd be great to have, you know, choice um, in Brisbane at some point. And yeah. then a mere ten years later, you, get, you know it's 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 booming, it's burgeoning. So we have the advantages now that I, I think perhaps a lot of the newer drinkers don't appreciate. Um, that it, if you don't like a beer, it doesn't. Oh, now I can't drink beer because it's, you know <laughs> it's mainstream A or mainstream B. If I don't like one or the other, that will you know I'm, I'm I'm drinking wine or whatever. Now at least we have. Uh, I can I can choose regional. I can choose you know under a thousand liters i can choose barrel aged i can choose you know salad for six months before it's bottled and or you know what i can just have a nice easy you know it's kind of crafty you know but it's owned by a big company uh, and you can make all those decisions yeah it, but I, I guess for me what does that mean for craft beer um, for, for, for small brewers because um if you know, a, a big part of the marketing of pretty much all small brewers has been we are different to the big guys, you know, um, and, you know whether it's sort of that they call a macro industrial beer or you know bland or yeah. you know in, in industrial beer or you know it's chemicals or you know all of those things that at some time or other small brewers have you know used to differentiate the thing that they're making and give themselves a competitive advantage in the advantage in the marketplace. Um, you know when, when you see somebody and. Chris is a great example. When you hear them making beers out of stinging nettles, you know, on, on their and on, on their mountain retreat in you know southeast Queensland, it's exactly what people think of when they think of craft beer. And yet they're using one of the most highly refined, advanced processing aids that you can get in brewing, and think nothing of it because it just gives them the beer that they want to make. It's um, the next step on the continuum. Yeah, uh, this this so, is available. And look, the, uh, I think you know, getting back to last week's episode and. and Rob Rominski's comments at the end of the day I think it comes down to um, who can hear my message yep um, okay 
Taking it back then to last week's message, uh, last week's podcast, I had my uh, rant about the uh, Beautiful Truth campaign. Um, and the Beautiful Truth, my, my point last week was that the Beautiful Truth campaign is very much about making beer seem crafty. Um, and they talk about you know, how our beers are crafted. It talks about um, sugar. There's no mention of high gravity brewing. There's no mention of you know, brewers' enzymes. There's no, and, and that was the point I was making. Shouldn't the big brewers, rather than trying to hide those things that make beer possible, be, you know, be out there saying, hey, look, we are using these techniques to make beer the way that you want it, where you want it, when you want it. And without us, these things wouldn't be possible. Um, and being really, really open and educating people um, about things like Brewers Clarex and why they're used and how they're used, um, rather than making them appear through their campaign as a really dirty little secret. Yeah, certainly the big breweries have the advantage of, of marketing budgets. So they, they can get whatever message they want. But if you think back, let's use VB as an example, Victoria Bitter. A bitter is an ale style, you know, made famous in, in, in the UK. Um, and at some point in Australia, v Victoria Bitter and Ale overnight morphed into Victoria Bitter, the name, but now it's a lager. So it's like saying red wine and then the next day it's a white wine. Um, so at some point, the big brewery started telling porkies. And 100 plus years later, they're still doing it. And eventually, through, you know, the good work of people like Australian Brews News and Radio Brews News, they'll get called out. Yeah. Don't okay. you I, yeah, look, I'm, 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 trust me, I've been lying a long time, Matt. They, they, <laughs> they, they've been omitting relevant areas of the truth, if not lying, for a century. So I don't think they're going to change now, particularly now that they're actually under threat. Before it was, you know, gobble up all the little ones to become a big brewery. Um, and either close them down or, or um, you know, absorb the brands or keep them as heritage brands or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and people, more and more and more and more people kept drinking it and more and more people listened to what their TVs told them or what the, you know, the, um, the sporting team um, patch on their jersey was, was telling them to drink. But now there's the, not only is there an alternative, but people are turning away from the big ones and and going more to well what, let, let's have a look at the alternative. So it's I think it, it's up to us as a as a community to make sure that our message is getting out there and things like you know okay you know what some maybe some um, brewing techniques enzyme enhancement and all that sort of thing is is perhaps you know it's great science but is it maybe cheating the you know the handcrafted label a little bit um, but then not all enzyme enhancers are, are the same. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Beard and Brow, whether they add the enzyme or not, you know, theirs is pretty close to what you would call handcrafted. You know, there, there are some craft breweries that are big enough that, you know, it's a completely closed system. <laughs> There's, the, the only hand uh, crafting involved is pressing buttons, um, and that doesn't make the beer any less good or thing like that. But that, you know, Beard I, I, and Brow... I visited a 100% um, independent, um, true meaning of the word craft brewery, uh, where, yeah, human hands don't get particularly dirty, um, but it was a magnificent system to see. And Which is, it, it's the same, you know, well, we, we don't use wooden casks anymore or great big wooden vats. You know, we've moved to stainless steel. Oh, are we cheating? 
No. That's actually a really good um, analogy because Coopers for a long time used their puncheons and uh, yeah. the, the, the puncheons were great big wooden barrels and out the, at the top they had a bunghole that when they were fermenting, the yeast you know, in a top fermenting beer would force its way through the top. It would be collected in little cups, um, dishes around the top and then that was the Your next brew yeast sound. collection for, for, for the next brew. And, yeah. uh, you know, that because of the cost involved in that system and the quality issues involved in that system, they moved to you know more modern processes. Because the market demanded, uh, look, I, I love that I love that process, but you know what? I don't want my beer tasting different from batch to batch, or I don't, exactly. or I don't want the perception that it might taste different. Um, Pilsner Urquell was the same sort of thing. Oh, you know, it's it's the it's the specific timber that we use, you know, in the in the massive barrels and that sort of thing, and maybe they're maybe they're just timber clad. Now, but that was always, you know, that that was their marketing point up to the point at which people go, yeah, don't like that variance. So, I mean, do do we just get away from this whole idea of, um, you know, it, 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 it's almost like the, um, you know, to, to to have a really bad, you know, that reclaim Australia movement where they try and come out with very simple messages that can easily be. Actually, that's a really bad example. Um, just, you know, the saying craft beer is handcrafted or we're anti-big or anything like that is just a meaningless thing that we need to get away from. And as you say, just find beers you like drinking. And if you're interested enough, do a little bit of research into that beer and how it's made. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to Matt's point there, we, you know, Reclaim Australia, if you go to a, you know, a beer festival and they're wearing Australian flags as capes and, and you know, Australian Eureka flag balaclavas, perhaps, perhaps steer away <laughs> from that stall. <laughs> But anything else? Yeah, ninety-nine uh, percent Islam free. Our beer is. You know. <laughs> oh, let's not talk about halal. halal We've got a halal reduced beer. Yeah. That well, actually, that said, uh, Guinness has come out and said they're now suitable for vegans. Well, there you go. There you go. Which, uh, you know, again, big news, seemingly big news, but it, it's it's so making a little bit of a mockery. They've they've stopped using isinglass, which is derived from uh, swim bladders of fish. Um, and it's a clarifying agent, um, I believe, in the same way that Brewers Clarex is. I'm not sure. Um, uh, yeah, as it, 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 Brewers Clarex is a is is a, a non-vegan. Is it a, like? Well, actually, mate, know. that is a really good question. Like, what? I, I, I don't really understand veganism. And listeners, uh, if I offend you, please call in and uh, you know uh, at Good Beer Matt on uh, Twitter, or the number will be called soon. Uh, we, but, or, or, yeah, look, send us a message. We, we'll call you because I know sometimes vegans, you know, the, um, you know, it's very difficult for them to, you know, type the message and <laughs> pick up the phone and that sort of thing. But is yeast a living creature? I believe it is. Well, it's a single cell organism fungus. from the fungus family. Uh, so, so is, is, that's not an animal, I guess. It's well, it certainly look at it, it. Certainly procreates very efficiently and, and quickly. It buds, but it buds. It doesn't breed. Yeah. It, it, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Do they, have, do they have progressive dinners? Do they, I don't know, do they, you know, <laughs> form school councils? Um, are they well, sentient beings? I'm sure they have oyster. feelings. Because oysters, you, turn, you, you ask a brewer, you turn that mash temperature up or the, the ferment temperature up a couple of degrees and all of a sudden it's, ah, oh, it's, you know, the gate crashes have arrived at the party. Or you know you turn it down. So maybe they do have feelings. Oh, it's a bit cool now. I might just I might just go dormant. 
At Beer Blokes um, is the Twitter handle to complain to. Um, no, <laughs> bring him on. Bring the, bring the vegan. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, actually, but to, to, I completely digress um, whether yeast um, is the same as an oyster in terms of um, veganism. But anyway, um, icing glass cup. He's having a go with the bivalves now. <laughs> Uh, so People's Front of Judea here, uh, Radio People's Front of Judea. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, again, um, look, I think, yeah, um, we, we brought back last week, we've uh, chatted about a few new things. Um, anything else new from, from you this week, Pete? One thing I didn't mention last week, I had an absolute thrill um, a couple of weeks ago. Now, um, I was on Richard Feidler's Conversations program. So yep. rather than Radio Brews News, I was on uh, Real on Radio. Real Radio. Uh, did, did you catch the uh, show, Prof? I didn't. But big fan of Richards, from his old, from going back to the big gig days. Yes, he uh, Doug Anthony All Stars with the Doug Anthony All Stars, yeah. and uh, lovely, lovely guy. And uh, yeah, and he was a guest at a lunch uh, that I held a couple of uh, months ago, and uh, was fascinated by uh, the history of beer that I recounted. And uh, so I was on. So if anyone is a podcast listener, which if you're listening to this, you are, um, jump on conversations with Richard Feidler, and you can. If, if too much Matt isn't enough, it's a uh, a half an hour of me not ranting at all. Um, so, but that was a, a big thrill. I was very excited to get, um, you know, chatting about beer out to a very serious audience. Uh, anything else for you, Prof? Uh, no, not much. No, it's been a, a very busy week, but not in a beer sort of way. Family, it's that time of year. That's it. Dance, um, all that sort of stuff. Okay, well, we might uh, sail on out. Uh, we'll just do the uh, feedback and where you can uh, get us. We had a bit of response to last week's show. Um, Prof, I have to say, for, for the first time, it's been a little bit of uh, bagging the prof, not uh, having a go at me. So I'm all for this, and we're going to – I won't read um, Paul Mercurio's email out in full because it's, it's fairly long, but he, uh, he not, was Not as long as the phone conversation I had with him yesterday. <laughs> But Paul was somewhat surprised, perturbed, and mildly frustrated and certainly disappointed in the prof's seeming complete lack of interest in the topic of the later half of the podcast. Um, in fact, I think he said, couldn't be less interested in regard to false or misleading advertising. Um, now, we've, we've already given that a bit of a rework today, and uh, I, I think Paul can hear that um, it, it was yeah, look, it was just one of those things. Um, and I... I, I fully take on board, and I, I guess I should also link in a Twitter comment that we had from um, Nick Decker, um, who said, what's with the small snipes you blokes have been giving each other in the last few episodes? Not easy listening. And that's from at Nick Record, uh, N-I-C-K-R-E-K-K-E-D, if you want to follow Nick. Um, yeah, look, and I just got back to him and said, look, you know, I'm not easy to listen to at the best of times, and you get me uh, the same on air and off, so... Um, but between everybody, look, I think we can safely say that there are some issues that fire you up a lot less than me, Prof, and that might have been one of them. Very possibly. Plus, I was just bored to snores. <laughs> no, 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 that's a bit unfair. That, that's a bit unfair. Well, Let this, uh, listeners, just you know, as I said in the uh, in our opening, uh, perhaps just caught me at a low ebb, just on just right. on that particular hour of that particular day. So, but Pro no, we, we're all good. In, in the in the right headspace. There, there's still a lot of love in this room, listeners. Very much um, so. so. Look, hey, don't forget too. You know, 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday, we we record this shit. So there's no beer involved. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you, say, oh, 
I would, you know, Homer Simpson, I would kill everyone in this room for a sweet <laughs> drop of beer. Sometimes you just go, you know what? This is, this is one of those times for which beer was invented and intended. And I couldn't have one. So exactly. yeah, I threw my bike into the bush and, um, cracked the shits and yeah, but that's, that's, uh, that's all been and gone now. It is. Yeah. There is. But uh, but if anyone wants to uh, sort of get in touch with either Prophet Eye, uh, editor at Brews News, actually, I just uh, there was one email um, from last week um, from last week's show. Uh, so let me call it up. The professionalism that is. The, the cynic uh, in me could could suggest that uh, I deliberately went a bit uh, pear shaped so that you know I could just see is anyone actually listening? And it's nice to know that we do get response. The people you know um, are listening. So, and and they I are. Didn't. That's, not how I, that's not what I did. But as I say, I could be cynical and say that I did. No, but we know that you didn't. No. Um, Paul Pacey, who we shouted out to last week, um, said I really enjoyed the conversation between you both today. I especially liked hearing crows, currawongs, and butcherbirds in the background. Uh, Matt, whereabouts in Brisbane do you live? Uh, I'm actually very central. I'm at Kelvin Grove, but there's also a little bit of a chirping and whistling coming from Profsin. So uh, we were, I've got we East, Eastern Rosellas, uh, Crimson Rosellas, and uh, a couple of noisy miners and some um, uh, wattlebirds. So uh, and honey eaters are around at the moment. They, they were there were some fledglings. As with everybody on this show, uh, all unpaid. Yes, just bonus content for you, dear listener. Um, but Paul also says, seriously, guys, it was good to listen to you guys talking about beer, and I think you need to do it more often without a guest interview to centre the show around. Um, I hope you're okay, Prof. We didn't get to hear too much from you. Um, sorry about that, Prof. That may be another cause of uh, dissent if I, I don't let Prof say anything. Possibly. <laughs> So, but Prof, look, thank you, Paul, for saying that. Um, I have to say, I really agonised over hitting the send button um, on an episode of just Prof and I talking um, with nothing else to, to break up the monotony, um, or in the case of last week, just me talking without even Prof to break up the monotony. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, Prof, what do you think? I mean, do you think people actually want to just hear you and I talking, or do you think we need somebody to uh, who's a little bit more interesting than us? I think sometimes if there's a, you know, a bit of a touchstone issue, or uh, you know, we get in, I get it, I guess between the two of us, sometimes you know, we we can get into into a zone and just sort of talk about various bits and pieces. Um, and I think if you and I find it interesting, then I guess um, by transference that other people will find that interesting. Yeah, so yeah, maybe, maybe you know, uh, rather than trying to juggle the um, uh, the restraints and restrictions and, and responsibilities of a real job and families and all that sort of thing um, and weave this into it um, by then trying to, you know, juggle all the, the guests and um, their time restraints and commitments and all that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe sometimes you need to say, hey, this, this week's just a, you know, the Pete and Matt show. Just Matt and Prof. Okay, well, yeah. there you go. So, but Paul, thank you very much. If anyone else would like to get in touch with us, uh, editor at uh, brewsnews.com.au. I'm at Good Beer Matt on Twitter. Um, we're at Osbrews News on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, other places. Prof, now, I, I never, it, it's at Beer Blokes. Yep. 
it's Prof Pilsner, but you're at Beer Bloke, so you can uh, get Prof as well. Um, no reviews on iTunes this week, but please, if you enjoy the show, help other people find it. Just jump on board. Just jump online. Let us know how many stars, one to five, very simple system, and maybe leave a comment um, with a little bit of feedback. Let other people know they can find the show. Um, next week, we promise we will be back um, with another show. Uh, but un until next week, uh, thank you for listening. Too And we are out.